uh, to the book of James chapter 1. Uh, while I tell you guys kind of the story, it was my freshman year of college. Um, I had just left um, a university and I was transferring to another university and I was leaving and I was going for uh, the summer to show up there to begin lifting weights with the team and, and doing the stuff we needed to do before college football season. And so I remember I'm in my car, I'm headed to this university and, and I, I call my coach and I'm like, hey, so you got a spot for me to live this summer, right? He's like, yep, we're going to have you right on the corner of First and Main. On first and main, so I was like, all right, cool, easy to remember. So I'm driving in my truck, I'm driving, I remember I get into this street, I turn down main, and I'm going, and it's six, five, right, you're counting down. And I remember I get to the stoplight at first and main, and he says, it's gonna be on the corner right to your left if you're facing east. And so I, I look to my left, and I see two individuals sitting on the front porch of this house. These two individuals, um, one of them's name was Mossy. Uh, Mossy was about six foot four, uh, roughly 330, 340 pounds, um, covered in tattoos. Just one of the, 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 just the, one of the most like intimidating, just like built like specimens you've ever seen, right? And then his cousin G was sitting next to him on the porch. And G is about six foot six, like 305. Um, and they're both sitting there. G's got super long hair. And I remember I, I called the coach and I drive, I, I legit, this is a true story. I turned left and I just kept going past the house. Right? I remember I called the coach and I'm like, hey, coach, uh, hey, um, so where did you say that house was again? He's like, yeah, you're going to turn. It's going to be first to Maine. You'll be right there. You're staying. You're living um, with Mossy and G. I told him to wait out on the front porch with you. And I was like, crap. So, I, I, I get there and praise the Lord. Um, and I get, and I, so I turn around, I head back and I get to the house. And I remember I pulled into the driveway and Mossy and G, they come out, they give me just like the biggest hugs you've ever experienced. And they begin to unload my truck and we're bringing all my stuff in for the summer, suitcases, all this stuff. And then we were going to have kind of like a family dinner that night just to get to know each other. So we sit down at dinner, and, and Mossy and G sat on one side of the table, and I was sitting on the other side of the table by myself, and I'm looking across the table at these two, and I did what, guys, like, guys, you get this, right? And girls, maybe you do this too, but, but guys, you get it, right? I felt the need that in front of these guys, I needed to make them, I needed to convince them that I belonged at the table, right? I'm looking at them, and I see these intimidating bros, right? We do it with different stuff. We see a guy that likes to fish, and we instantly start telling fishing stories, right? We hear a guy likes to bow hunt, and it's like, well, I bow hunt too. And you start talking about all your stuff, or you know somebody that plays a sport, and you start talking about your sport. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, man, I need them to know I belong at this table. I, I deserve a seat. And so I start telling Mossy and G, and I'm like, yeah, I was, I was all state, and I played in this bowl game, the oil bowl. I, I was here. I was at this school, and, I made, and all this stuff. And I'm like giving them like my football resume. And I'm just like going on and on and on. You know when you're nervous and you just talk a whole bunch? And I'll never forget, G, six foot six, 200 shut your face pounds, reaches across the table, puts his hand down, and I kind of snap out. I look up at him, and he goes, Bishop. <laughs> I promise this was. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, we'll find out on the first day of camp. I'm like, what's up, bro? And he's like, I mean, bro, you can tell us all this stuff all you want, but we're going to find out on the first day of camp. Like, you don't need to justify yourself to us. I was like, okay, well, screwed that one up. So went to bed that night, slept with the lights on, um, and uh, 
the, the, the summer began to go by, and we're lifting weights together, and Mossy and G, they're like my rack mates, so we're in the rack together every day. We're lifting, we're sweating, we're throwing up. Like, we're doing all the things that you do to get ready for a college football season, okay? Putting our bodies through training and torment, and, and you become, like, close to people like that, you know? Like, mutual suffering, you become closer to individuals, and so we're brothers by this point. Like, Mossy and G, they came home with me right before camp was going to start back to Oklahoma. We took them noodling. Like, we did all the stuff. Like, Mossy and G were my brothers, my brothers, still to this day. But I remember the first day of practice came, and not all the freshmen were invited to, to join us that summer before, but that first day of practice came, and we're, we're out there, and we're doing all the stuff. And, uh, and we, we get to offensive line, defensive line, one-on-ones. And if you're not a football person, essentially the big uh, dudes on the defense versus the, really, the big dudes on the offense, the ones that no one knows are actually on the team until they mess up, right? Those guys. Okay. So we're down in our corner of the field, and we're doing offensive line, defensive line, one-on-ones. And the ones, like the starters, the returning, like all Americans, all this stuff, G, Mossy, like these guys are taking their reps against the starters, the upperclassmen. Then the twos go, and that's kind of like the juniors, the sophomores, guys that have played maybe a little bit, have potential to play the next year. The threes go. These are dudes that maybe have been around for a minute. Then the red shirts go. I was a red shirt at this time. I, I made some mistakes. I wasn't going to be able to play my freshman season. I was on, well, that's a different story. But uh, so I, I found myself with the red shirts and I'm like, yo, I'm about to clean up. Because I, I transferred from a Division I school. I, I'm good at this game. And this little 195 pound freshman, I'm about to make work of this dude. And everything I prophesied to G at the dinner table is about to come true, right? So we get down, in our, and we're going, and I'm the first one up. And so I get down in my stance, and I'll never forget. I hear from like 40 people deep, hey, yo, coach, hold up. I got Bishop. And you would have thought that it was God parting the Red Sea. These defensive linemen part black jerseys spread to each side of this turf area, and there stands G. And he's standing there, and he walks forward. And we get there, and coach tells me we're going we're gonna to go on one, right? So I'm looking up. We're going on one. I'm like, I think we should have went on two. I think we could have got him. Uh, but we're going on one. So I get down to my stance. G's in his stance. And I'm like, I'd be lying to you guys if I didn't tell you. I was terrified. I've never been more terrified in my life. G looks like the dude from, like, Moana. You know what I'm talking about, all right? I'm shaking in my cleats, like nervous in my stance. I got to snap a football and then get my head up and be able to block this guy. Like, this is going to be a process. So I get down to my stance. We're going on one. Should have went on two. Still to this day. I tell G that all the time. So coach, he hits the ready. Said it. I snapped the ball. And by the time I got from my hand from here to here, it was like the hand of God laid on the side of my helmet. And G head slapped me. And for those of you that are football people, you know that's kind of a dirty move. You don't really do that to your friends. But I don't remember G doing that because I woke up, true story, five minutes later laying on the turf with my face mask removed from my helmet and our whole medical staff around me. True story. They thought he killed me. All right, so I'm laying there. I wake up. He knocks me out cold. 
I'm in the training room later on, and they're doing all the concussion protocol stuff, making sure my, I, my neck wasn't broke. Obviously, they would take me to the hospital, but I've got to clearly have a concussion more than I, I, I like exist at a normal concussion, and so I was like more than normal by that point. You guys have gotten that by hearing me preaching, but, and I'm sitting there. I remember I'm sitting on this training table, and I'm leaned up against the wall, and they're doing all the stuff, and I see the door open, and G comes walking in the door. And he comes over to the edge of this big, long leather table. He puts his hand on my foot and he looks at me. And he said, Bishop, you can talk about it all you want, bro. Sooner or later, you got to be about it. You can talk about it all you want. But sooner or later, you got to be about it. And I learned that day a lesson that I never thought would apply to my Christian walk with Christ. I didn't know that even then God was teaching me lessons of what it was going to look like to follow him. And so if you got your Bibles, hopefully you're there. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not only hearers deceiving yourselves I'm going to read that again but be circle underline highlight doers of the word and not only hearers deceiving yourselves because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror for he looks at himself and he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was here we go verse 25 but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works this person will be blessed in what he does back to verse 22 I hope you circle underline highlighted some stuff in there but be doers of the word and not only hearers be doers of the word. This morning, Paul came and he taught to us about scripture and the importance of scripture and the things that are available to us through the scriptures. And I'm here to kind of continue in that teachings to encourage you. And maybe if you're just joining us for evening sessions, this is for you as well. Paul talked about it his first night. We are the most poured into spiritually generation and the least poured out because we've got a whole lot of hearers who know the right answers who can turn to the book who know where it's at and we don't have enough doers we've got a whole lot of people who know how to play church and we don't have enough people that know how to be the church and it's because we've decided that God's word 
is not our ultimate authority for our everyday life. It's because we've decided that God's word is something that we'll sprinkle in when it supports kind of the way we feel politically or the way we feel sexually or the way we feel about a certain topic or situation. But at the end of the day, God's word doesn't apply to everything, right? We want God's word to be true when it comes to eternity, that, that it's a free gift, but we don't want God's word when it comes to everyday living. We don't want God's word when it comes to actually doing what it says. Because we'd rather be hearers and not doers. Another way to think about this, we would rather be consumers rather than contributors. Because Western culture has taught us that you can consume whatever you want, just go find it. And unfortunately, the current state of a lot of churches in America today have taken full advantage of that consumerism. And they've said, have a preference, find your church. If you don't know which one it is, go find your preference elsewhere. Come sit down. You don't need to serve. You don't need to give. You don't really need to be a part of this. Just find the one that scratches your itch. Come consume. Don't worry about contributing. We'll take care of that. Gen Z, hear me. If we're going to see Matthew 24 come true, if we're going to see this gospel of the kingdom preached to all nations in your generation, remember, I believe that that's you. I believe that you're the ones that can see Jesus' kingdom come. I believe you're the ones that can see the gospel go to every corner of the earth. It's going to take a whole lot less consuming and a whole lot more contribution. It's more than just being a hearer. It's being a doer. The question is, for you, for me, is do we value Scripture? Do we value Scripture? Or is it just another book? Is it just another item on the camp packing list? Is it just another app on our phone? Do we value Scripture? Two hours and 20 minutes, laugh all we want, bros, that's bad. Let's be real, Right? Some of you couldn't find your Bibles before you came. Some of you didn't have one, and that's okay. But if you got one, it's time to start using it. The question is, do we value Scripture? Because if we value Scripture, if we, we trust that God's Word is complete authority, if we trust that it is without error, that we either take all of it or none of it. Do you hear that? You don't get to pick and choose which parts of God's word apply to your life. You either take the whole of scripture or you take none of it. And guys, I understand Paul talked to you about it too. There are parts of this book that are difficult. There are parts of these scriptures that are hard. That doesn't change the fact that they're true. But our culture has taught us to find the path of least resistance. Let me tell you, nothing worth having comes easy. Stop taking the easy way out. You're better than that. I understand this is difficult. This is hard. There's some things in here that make you uncomfortable. These some things in here that are completely counter to the world we live in today. Thank God. Because you look at the current state of our world, you see confusion, 
You see death. You see idols. You see darkness. And God's word came to offer the solution for all of that. But the solution is all of it or none of it. You don't get to pick and choose. And right now, some of you, you know the verse. You know the passage. You know the question that grips your heart. You know the question. You're like, I just can't wrap my mind around this. And that question is keeping you from the fullness of what God has to you in obeying everything he calls you to. I love the way one theologian says it. He says that doubt is like a poised foot. Doubt is like a runner's foot in the air, right? And he says, but doubt in the direction of God. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to not know all the answers. That's not what we're preaching. But it's not okay to just ignore it. It's not okay to just put it on the shelf. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be honest with you. If you think you can be a Christian and not accept the full authority of the scriptures as the guide for your life, you are completely, completely deceived. There is one way. There is one truth. And we need to be doing it. Because, guys, the bottom line is the word invokes action. The word invokes action. God's word does not invoke passivity. It invokes action. It, invo it, invokes, it invokes going on the offense. And so many of us have lived our lives on the defense. And he's saying, if you'll just do what I've called you to do, everything in your life will change. If you'll kill the sin I'm calling you to kill, everything will change. If you'll believe my word, if you'll believe that my spirit is enough for you, if you'll believe that I'm your sustainer, that I'm your satisfier, that I'm your redemption, that I'm your identity, and that my scriptures are the guide for your life, if you'll just take hold of that, everything will change. Scripture is clear. People who have accepted Jesus obey Jesus. Scripture's clear. People who have accepted the free gift of salvation obey the teachings of Jesus. How you doing? How you doing? With Scripture. And guys, I get it. Some of you guys, you just got saved this week. Let this serve as a as a charge for you moving forward, okay? This isn't meant to be shaming. This is meant to bring urgency. This is something I need to hear often. I'll open up to you guys just a little bit if I can. Um, my wife and I are going through some really difficult times right now. Um, she's... She's pretty sick, and there's nothing I can do about it. She's in extreme amounts of pain. There are days she can't get out of bed. And we're just waiting, doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, for somebody to bring her in and treat her. But what she has is pretty rare. Um, it's confusing a lot of people. And it seems she just keep getting pushed along. 
this is hard in those moments. It's hard to keep doing it in those moments. Because I, I have the people that come up to me and they're like, hey man, just have faith. God's timing. Trust God. Take your burdens, take your cares, take your concerns to him. It's not easy, guys. I'm right there with you. Doubt in the direction of God. You know why I can do that? Because I remember who he's been my whole life. Because I know the scriptures. Because I studied the book and I see his faithfulness time after time after time. And that he's a good father that loves his kids. That sin wasn't his idea. Sickness wasn't his idea. Suffering wasn't his idea. That's on us. That's on us. And if it wouldn't have been Adam and Eve, it would have been you and me. But he's a redeemer. His truth is good. And he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our obedience. He's worthy of our yes. But some of us, we struggle to do what the word of God is calling us to because quite frankly, we don't even know where ours is. We struggle to obey the scriptures because this is just something we do on Wednesdays. This is just something we do on Sundays. This is something we just, like I said, put on the packing list. And scriptures, the scriptures have become a back burner for us. They've became an Instagram bio. They've became a 15-second TikTok. They've became a thread. Rather than the very air that we breathe. Scripture's more than a trend. It's a transformation. To you and to me. But the thing is, guys, obedience seems so godly when it's easy. Obedience seems so just holy when it's convenient. It is easy to respond to Jesus when everybody else is doing it. But it seems so unreasonable when it's hard. Will you still worship him when you're the only one in the locker room? Will you still obey him when you're the only one on the team? Will you still take him at his word and apply it to your life when you're the only one in your house? To say you've accepted Jesus and to live contrary to that statement is to live a lie. If you've given your yes to Christ, if you have trusted in him for salvation, there is but one way. There is but one guide. There is one truth. And we need to stop just consuming and we need to start applying. The word of God is more than just some good reading. It's great application. It's more than just our small group time. 
in those moments, in the difficulty, in the suffering, just right here in the book of James. We'll go back a little bit. What's setting this up is James is teaching to the church. And understand something. James is writing this to a church that that is experiencing real trials. People are being stripped out of their homes, out of their worship services. They're being burned at the stake. They're being used as lamps in the streets. Christians are under attack. They are literally being lit on fire. And James writes to them, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it great joy that we serve a God that doesn't say, do as I say, but says, do what I did. We don't serve a Christ that says, suffer for no reason. He says, live as I lived. He showed us what it looked like. At that moment in the garden, when he's being faced with the reality of death, with the reality of being the payment for sin, we see Jesus cry out, Lord, is there any other way? I've been there. There are parts of this book There are parts of a a life of a disciple. There are parts of saying yes to Jesus. There's been a lot of nights recently. Lord, is there any other way? But Jesus teaches us. He shows us. It's not my will, but your will be done. We started the week off by responding and saying, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Do you trust him with everything? Do you trust him with your obedience? Do you trust him with your yes? Because I love that Jesus gives us a promise. He gives us a promise in the scriptures that those who hear these words, those that keep his commands, those that trust that he is the only way and the only truth, and they live to that standard for their life, that they will not be shaken. But he says, but those who hear these words of mine and do not apply them, well, they'll be like a house built on sand. You see, guys, you build a house on sand, you get all the sand you want for your foundation right here. And I can, I can pat it down. Paul, will you pat that down for me? Pretty tight. We're building a sandcastle, yeah. I can pat it down, and, and I can make it look like a foundation, and I can do everything I can to make sure that it's as firm and, and that it's as, as, as tight as it can be. I can make sure that it looks right. And at the end of the day, when I'm just at, at going through everyday life and there's no suffering, there's no difficulty, I can convince people that this is my foundation. I can convince people that this is good. 
I can be convinced that this will be what my house stands on. But Jesus teaches that the person who hears his word but doesn't apply it to their life is like the one building their house on the sand. That when the rain comes, when the trials and the difficulty come, that when hardship comes and they go through things and life gets hard and they begin suffering and people begin to judge them and they ask, why are you even doing this? And they go home from camp and they show back up in the locker room and they see what Jesus called them to and they continue saying no to him. This is what they're left with. Nothing. Their life is empty. Their foundation is broken. They're left in shambles. But let me tell you something. Jesus didn't die to leave you in shambles. No, he died to show us the way. He died to give us a standard for life. And he says that if you take this way that I've given to you, if you take my words, if you take my truth, if you take the scriptures and you apply them to your life, if you don't just hear them, but you do them, if you become somebody who's about that action, if you become somebody who doesn't just consume but contributes, you become somebody that applies the word of God in your life. You become somebody that allows that to be the truth that kills your sin. You become somebody that allows that to be the truth that shapes your identity. That when difficulty comes, when, when hardships comes, when you face suffering, when difficulty's there, when they start saying, why are you even a Christian? When you show back up in the locker room, when the boyfriend breaks up with you, when your mom gets sick, when cancer's a reality, when your wife doesn't just look like, she, when your wife's in pain, there's nothing you can do about it. When you lose all your friends, when the difficulty's there, when you don't know if there's any other way, when you're the only one that's still going. No matter what life throws your way, when you build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his teachings, you will have something worth standing on no matter what you go through. That's what Jesus has offered to you. He's offered you a firm foundation. He's offered to you a true life. He's offered you something unshakable, something that can never be taken away from you. All you have to do is say yes and do what he says. To say, you know what? It's no longer my will, but your will be done. To say, you know what? There are parts of this scripture, there are parts of this Bible that are difficult, that are hard. That call me to something completely foreign to who I am in my flesh. But real Christianity says yes to Jesus every single time. No matter the cost. No matter the price. Real Christianity says yes to Jesus every time. Remember, we don't serve a God that says, do as I say. No. We serve a God that says, do what I did. Do what I did. So I believe there are some of us in here that tonight your response is you need to receive his word by faith. I love the great evangelist, Billy Graham. The pivotal point in his whole entire ministry a lot of people would say it's the L.A. revivals or it's that article getting written or whatever it was. But I believe that it was one night at a camp when he found himself on his knees at a tree stump with his Bible open, struggling. Struggling to take this in its fullness. Struggling to trust. And he prayed a simple prayer. Lord, I receive your word by faith. 
Just like I receive salvation, I'm going to receive your word. I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are. And even in the moments where I can't see it, even in the moments where maybe I don't understand, even in the moments where I doubt, I'm going to doubt in the direction of you. I'm going to receive this word by faith. I'm going to say, you know what? I've been trying my way for a long time, and my way just ain't working. So I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to stop just being somebody who shows up and hears it for 10 days and doesn't do what it says. I'm going to commit myself to becoming a person of the book. I'm going to commit myself to being somebody that falls in love with God and his word. And I understand, guys, there are some of us in here, Scripture's confusing. Scripture's hard. It's thousands of years old. Can I tell you something? And this is me being vulnerable and honest with you. Scripture was one of the most intimidating things of giving my life to Christ. Growing up, all the way through high school and into college, I was a special education student because I've been diagnosed with dyslexia. Reading is one of, if not the most difficult thing to do in my life. My eyes get confused, my brain gets confused, I can't make sense of the words and things get all jumbled up. And scripture was frustrating because I saw a bunch of other people who could just read it and understand it and it just seemed to go smoothly for them and I just kept reading over and over and over and over and over and I just couldn't get it. And it was something somebody said to me. He might be here this week. I don't remember. And he said, Britt, I think it's time you stop just reading the word and you start letting the word read you. That you give it your whole heart and it not just be knowledge, but that it engage your whole will, your whole being. That it not just be something that exists between your ears, but it's something that consumes your whole being. That it becomes your whole life and you commit yourself and you trust that you can, you can pray to God and you can ask that his word says that when things are unclear, that his, his spirit will make it clear to you. Some of you, you just need to say a simple prayer before you read your Bible. Lord, will you teach me something in this? Lord, will you allow me to see more of you? Can I learn something of your character? Will you give me one thing to apply? But it starts by saying, you know what, Lord? Your word is going to be my standard. Your way is going to be my life. I'm going to build my life on the rock so that no matter what happens, I can stand firm on the foundation that is Christ. So the band's going to come back up here. Sash, you guys would bow your heads.